Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, coming to you from my self-isolation in my house. <laughs> and probably a lot of you are in self-isolation as well. Um, I'm praying that that is the worst thing that is happening to you right now. And at the point where I am recording this, things don't look very good for New York or Louisiana, and of course for Italy and Spain. So prayers that that spread will slow down. And that we are all doing what we can to flatten the curve and to stop the spread of this horrible thing. And today, as we launch into our first podcast in April, I thought what I would do is give a bit of a talk on how porn and coronavirus have a lot in common. In April, my series on Mondays is going to be all about porn and we'll be looking at how to recover from porn, the effects of porn, all kinds of stuff, because again, this is becoming even more of a problem right now as we're all self-isolating and we're all stuck at home. So let's get real about this stuff and let's see the harm that it actually has on marriages. So to open today's podcast, where I'm mostly going to be answering some reader questions about porn, I thought we could just take a big step backwards and say, why is it that porn is bad in the first place? One of the problems that I think that we have as Christians in fighting porn is that we see porn too much like a sin. I'm not saying that porn is not a sin, by the way. It's just that that really is far too simplistic a way of seeing porn. And I think that it obscures the real harm that porn is doing. So let's just look at this on a bit of a continuum, okay? Things can be wrong because God says they're wrong. Sometimes that's the way we define sin. You know, God makes a list of things you're not supposed to do, and then you don't do those things because those things are sin. And that's certainly true, absolutely. But as you grow in your faith, as you mature in your faith, as you get older, you see that it's not just that God arbitrarily said, don't do this. It's that the reason that God tells us not to do things is for our own good. So God wants to protect us. And so he's going to put these rules in place to protect us and to push us towards good behavior and to protect us from the consequences of bad behavior. And that is certainly true as well. But what I want to suggest is that there's something that's even deeper than that. And so let's take a big step backwards for a minute and take a look at what is it that God is trying to do in our world? And I believe that God's aim is to reconcile the whole world to himself. He wants to put things back in order and things got very out of order when sin entered the world. So in essence, what we're talking about is a cosmic battle between the kingdom of heaven and between the kingdom of this earth and the prince of darkness who has his way right now on the kingdom of this earth. When God wants to reconcile the world for himself, what he's really doing is he's, he's reclaiming ground for the kingdom of heaven principles. Okay, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, like may his will be done on earth. As Satan tries to claim more ground, we're going to push back, we're going to stand at the gates, and we're going to protect this. And then we're even going to reclaim some of the territory that Satan has won. That is what God's plan is for us to do is to reclaim that territory. But what does that look like? What does it look like to reclaim things for the kingdom of heaven? Well, the problem with sin is that it distorts God's creation. Anything that distorts God's creation does that. But but when we distort things, 
that are particularly made in the image of God, we create a bigger problem than other things that we can do. So we can distort God's creation in many ways, but when we actually distort that which is particularly made in the image of God, it's far more serious. And God made human beings in his image, male and female, he created them. And as he created them, part of the way in which we're made in God's image is that we are made for relationship and for intimacy. Sex really is the ultimate way of living that out. It's it's the most intimate that we can be. It's the ultimate knowing of two people and experiencing something together. See, what pornography says is that sex is not about knowing. Sex is about taking. And if it's not about knowing someone, it actually erases that person's personhood. It completely dehumanizes and objectifies. It rejects the image of God and makes us only into receptacles. And incidentally, that's why every man's battle fails. And I was talking about this last week on the blog and and why the way that we interpret the do not deprive verses is often very off too, because sometimes as Christians, we end up agreeing with porn's definition of the problem, okay? Because what porn says is that sex is all about the physical and porn focuses on using someone rather than knowing someone. When we agree with porn, we push people towards kingdom of darkness principles and we push them away from kingdom of heaven principles, okay? Christ wants to reclaim everything for himself. And Christ says that we are made in the image of God. We are made for relationship. We are made for intimacy. We are supposed to serve one another. The kingdom of darkness, though, it's about taking and using. It's about taking people and using people. The kingdom of heaven is about knowing and serving and intimacy and love. So when when every man's battle, for instance, says that you need to bounce your eyes because women are dangerous and because women can cause you to lust, then Every man's battle is actually agreeing with porn's definition of women, that all we are is objects. And it's not seeing women as someone that is inherently made in the image of God that we're supposed to be in relationship with and that we're supposed to respect, okay? To to ignore a woman because she might be dangerous is to make her simply into an object. And that's actually agreeing with the kingdom of darkness. If we make the do not deprive verses to mean, ladies, you're not allowed to say no to intercourse whenever your husband wants it, then we're reducing sex to something physical. It's no longer about knowing someone. It's no longer about intimacy. It's just about doing it. All right. And that is not kingdom of heaven principles. And too often we miss this this progression of of what sin really means and we focus on the very infantile definitions of sin you know it's wrong because god says it's wrong as opposed to the deeper issues of why it's wrong which is it, it distorts something that is made in the image of god and it's actually agreeing with kingdom of darkness principles rather than with christ who wants to restore the world to himself so if we're going to fight this stuff that's that's the that's the big picture that I want you to have is that we want to go out there and we want to reclaim things for the kingdom of God. We want to operate on Christ principles, on Jesus principles, and not on the kingdom of darkness principles. Okay, and of course, porn is also bad, and I don't mean to minimize this. This is this is perhaps the most serious part of it as well because it actually harms people. All right, it's not a victimless crime. So much of porn that is on the internet is actual sexual assault, like it is rape. 
when you're watching porn, you are masturbating to people getting raped or to children getting raped or underage girls getting raped. And so many of the people in porn videos were sexually assaulted as, as children and as teenagers. They have sexual trauma in their background. And when they're doing this, they're doing it out of sexual trauma. So porn harms because it harms actual human beings and it harms because it it mars the image of Christ in us. All right, so now let's move on to coronavirus, okay? I've got four things that I want to tell us about porn and coronavirus and how we can see them in kind of the same way. And the first is this, some are going to get sicker than others. We all know that there's a whole lot of people who have been exposed to COVID-19 and are asymptomatic and you don't look any different and you're actually not acting any different. Here's why this matters. When we talk about the effects of porn, and I've been very vocal about a lot of the effects of porn. I, I talked about how when you start watching porn when you're 12 and when it becomes a big part of your life and it, it changes how you see sex and then you get married and you see sex as about using your wife. Uh, you don't learn how to pleasure her. You think there's something wrong with her, et cetera, et cetera. I did a whole podcast on that. I will link to the podcast in the post for this podcast so that you can listen to something else while you are in self-isolation. I actually really liked that podcast. It was an important one. But porn can have great effects on us. It it causes erectile dysfunction in many guys. It changes what people want in bed, all kinds of stuff, really horrendous stuff. And we'll be looking in April at some of those effects. But I want us to also understand this, which is that not everybody experiences the worst effects. Doesn't mean the porn isn't bad. It doesn't mean that it's safe to to try it a little bit because not everybody gets sick. Just like coronavirus, you want to completely stay away from it. Absolutely. But let's remember that not everybody experiences the terrible effects. And the reason that's important is because sometimes, especially for women, we get so grossed out by what porn can do that when we find out that our husband used porn in the past, we see them as being these huge perverts who now have their whole sexuality marred. And actually what studies show is that a lot of guys actually don't have some of those major effects and they're able to get over it. There's a whole movement online. It's called the NoFap movement, N-O-F-A-P. And basically what it means is quitting porn and masturbation cold turkey. It's a secular movement. It's not affiliated with the church whatsoever, although a lot of Christians have participated in it. They've got Reddit threads, they've got websites, all kinds of things. What they challenged guys to do was to go 30 days without masturbation and pornography. And often when guys do that, they find at the end of the 30 days, a lot of sexual function improves. They find themselves thinking a lot more clearly. They feel a lot less clouded. Uh, I know a guy who's a medic in the military who hears from a lot of guys who come to him saying, Doc, I don't know what to do because all of a sudden it's not getting hard anymore. Like I've got erectile dysfunction and I don't understand this because I'm so young. And he says, quit porn for a month. And they're like, what? And he says, no, seriously, just quit porn for a month. And then 30 days later, they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, you're so right. I can't believe this. This is amazing. Everything's back again. Some people can quit porn relatively easily. And when they do, a lot of these things go away. Some people that doesn't happen with, and we're going to be looking at a lot of that this month. I receive so many letters from women whose husbands don't want them anymore, who are into porn, who are rejecting them completely, who are asking them to act out porn, all kinds of terrible things. Absolutely. But I just want us to keep that perspective is that 
Just because your husband confesses to a porn use does not mean that he's this incurable pervert and it's going to take years and years and years to get over it. It might, okay? And for some guys, it does. Just like some people get coronavirus so badly that they need ventilators, but some people don't. And so it's important when you find out that your boyfriend or your fiance or your husband has used porn that we understand how deep those effects go because they're not always the same and we don't want to freak out unnecessarily (laughs) and we also don't want guys to feel like this is helpless and I'm never going to get over this. I think a lot of it (laughs) to keep using the coronavirus illustration is, is, is like the concept of viral load. For those of you who grew up before the chicken pox vaccine, it probably went through your school Uh, probably went through your family as a child. And the last person in your family, the last sibling to get chicken pox, you might know, always tended to get it the worst. And that's because when you catch it from someone at school, you often get a much lower dose of it. So you don't get as big what they call a viral load. And so you might not get as sick from it. But your sibling was breathing in your air constantly. (laughs) And so they get a much bigger dose. And I I saw this in my nieces and nephews, my final niece to get it. She had chicken pox up her nostrils, in her ears, like just everywhere. She was in agony. Whereas the first kids in that family to get it, they weren't as bad. (laughs) And so the more exposure you have, often the more symptomatic you're going to be. And that's one way to think of viral load when it comes to porn. How much exposure have you had? How much have you watched it? Another way to think of it is how much have you allowed your thinking to be distorted by pornography? How much have you embraced the way that porn sees women, the way that porn sees sex, the way that porn sees men? Because some guys, I know they've watched porn, but that's never been what they wanted. And they fought against it all the time. And they really didn't want to be watching it. And then when they did manage to quit, they actually found their sex lives weren't that impacted. And they actually could have great sex with their wives. So a lot of it depends on how much of you actually agreed with what porn has done. So we need to be realistic about pornography, but I also don't want us to be alarmist. Because sometimes I think we we blow up the problem as being so big that we give it more power than God has. And God is bigger than pornography. Jesus can change us. The Holy Spirit is bigger than pornography. Just like, remember in the 80s, for those of you who are as old as I am, there was a huge movement to get real about spiritual warfare. and People were seeing demons behind every corner, and we were taught to rebuke demons constantly throughout the day. And it was as if we were putting all of our emphasis on Satan. And greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Okay, so let's not make porn bigger than Jesus. And sometimes when we catastrophize pornography, we can do that. So let's treat porn serious, just like coronavirus. It kills a lot of people. (laughs) There's a lot of people that are going to need ventilators, but a lot of people are also not. A lot of people are going to be able to resist. A lot of people are going to be able to get over this quickly when they realize what it is and when they reject it. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, we need to have zero tolerance for it because it does spread. There is no healthy amount of porn that is okay. 
There is no healthy amount of coronavirus that is okay. We've seen what it does in countries. It spreads like wildfire. And that's the big question. When are we going to be allowed out of isolation? Nobody knows because if there's still even a little bit of it in our in our community somewhere, then we could get a second wave, right? And so that's what the experts are all trying to figure out is how do you prevent that second wave? Because we have to have zero tolerance. And that's the same with pornography. It's not like a little bit is okay. Uh, no. <laughs> You have to say absolutely no. And then number three, we do what we do for other people's good. So we're going to change our behavior because we care about other people. And if we know how harmful pornography is to others, then that means that we change our behavior. It means maybe that we stop watching certain movies and stop the demand for certain movies. And that also means changing how you handle the internet at home for your kids. And they may not like you for it. But the best thing that we can do for our kids is to make sure that this never becomes a problem in their marriages. And even though you can't fully guarantee that, we can do a lot. You can get covenant eyes on your computers, your screens, your devices, etc. Um, that gives some accountability and some filtering. And I'll, I have a code. You can use the code TLHV to get 30 days free. That's for to love, honor, and vacuum. TLHV at covenanteyes.com. I'll have some links to that in the podcast description for this podcast as well. Another thing you can do, turn off the Wi-Fi every night at 1030. (laughs) Your kids may not like you because kids want to stay up late, but you don't need the Wi-Fi. People need to sleep. And if the Wi-Fi is off at night, kids are far less likely to watch porn. You can ask that all phones and iPads get charged overnight in the kitchen so that they're not near kids, so that they're not texting at one in the morning. They don't need to be doing that. <laughs> you know, it is your house and it is your money and people don't have an intrinsic right to Wi-Fi. So it's okay to say, hey, we're going to be careful here because it matters and take care of your kids. Make sure that kids aren't spending all of their time in their room by themselves where you don't know what they're doing. Make it a habit that people spend most of their time during the day, especially in self-isolation, that we are out in the living room and we know what everyone is doing because it does matter. And here's number four, and this is kind of goes along with number three. Even though it's great to change our behavior and we don't want it to spread and we want to make sure kids don't get a hold of it. Quarantining only does so much. Eventually life does have to go on again. We can't stay in self-isolation forever. And yes, we will have learned new habits. So we're going to wash our hands really well from now on. Hopefully we're not going to touch our faces as much. We'll probably get less flu actually after this because we'll be so much better at this stuff. But eventually that's not enough and we actually need a cure right? It, it's not just about washing our hands forever. What we're hoping for is a vaccine, that there's going to be a vaccine that is actually going to be a cure for coronavirus. And with porn too, it's great to have covenant eyes. It's great to do all of these things with the Wi-Fi. It's great to do that, but ultimately we need a cure. And the cure, I believe in this case, is to agree with the kingdom of heaven about the nature of sex and the nature of of intimacy. The, the cure is not just avoiding porn. The cure is changing the way that we think. See, avoiding porn is great, but it doesn't actually help God reclaim part of this world for himself. Avoiding porn does not bring the kingdom of heaven here. What brings the kingdom of heaven, what, what helps us win the battle is when we start seeing things the way Jesus does. And so that means it's not just about avoiding stuff. It's about choosing how we see things. And that means that we see 
sex, we see intimacy, we see each other as made in the image of God, as intimacy is about truly knowing someone in every way. And when we do that, then we embrace heaven. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, when you renew your mind, when you start seeing things through the kingdom of heaven, through the Jesus lens, then we're going to be able to understand what God's will is. And God's will is not just that we refrain from using porn. God's will is that we see things properly. That means that this battle is largely a spiritual one, and we win this battle in the spiritual realm when we bring back what God wanted for sex and intimacy. But this is also why you cannot get to that place. You cannot get to the kingdom of heaven through the kingdom of darkness. All right, the kingdom of darkness says that people are objects, that sex is about using, and sex is about taking, and sex is only physical. The kingdom of heaven says that people are precious. We are in the image of God. We are meant for intimacy and relationship and deep knowing, and you can't get there if you still agree with porn. So if you are still seeing women as objects, if you think that women are the problem, that women are causing you to lust, you're not actually getting towards the kingdom of heaven. All you're doing is this legalistic view of what of what sin is, and that doesn't get you any closer to freedom. Okay, if we're going to get to freedom, we need to see people as in the image of God. That's what I was trying to say last week on the podcast and on my blog about the problem with lust. Again, I will put some of those links in too. But as we start this month of April looking at porn, I want us to keep that bigger perspective that this is not only about not watching porn, but this is about developing Jesus's view of what sex is and what intimacy is and what the relationship between all of us is. And as we develop that view, porn will disappear But that's the purpose of this. It isn't just to defeat porn. It's to renew our minds so that we see things differently. I've got a great sermon thing to share with you on the blog this month on how you can get Jesus's view of porn. I just loved it. Um, And I'll be sharing that uh, that sermon with you, that YouTube video. We'll be talking more about what recovery looks like. We'll certainly be talking about the effects of porn. But let's keep all four of those things in mind as we go through the month of April. Is that some are going to get sicker than others. Number one, some will get sicker than others. It doesn't affect all of us the same way. And that means that it's important to keep things in perspective, treat things seriously when they are serious, but don't be alarmist. All right, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We need to have a zero tolerance for this stuff because it spreads. There is no healthy amount of porn. We're going to change our own habits for other people's good even if that makes our home life more difficult because we're changing our Wi-Fi habits or whatever, we're in this for other people's good. But remember that quarantining only does so much and ultimately there's a there's a heart change and a head change that needs to happen. Okay, now with that being said, I want to move on to some reader questions about pornography. Here's the first question, kind of a difficult one. So just triggering here, people are going to get a little bit explicit, but here we go. She asks, before we got married, my husband was a porn user. Lately, he has started asking to act out some of his fantasies. He likes it when I submit to him, likes spanking, and is interested in bondage. These are things I'm not comfortable with because I worry he's just acting porn out with me rather than sex being a mutual loving act. 
He's always been kind and not cruel, but bondage freaks me out. I brought it up with him and he has said that porn was a replacement for me rather than me being a replacement for porn. The submission part I'm getting okay with. I'm definitely an in-control person in most of my life and it's good for me to let him be in control too, but my worry is the spanking tying up stuff. Any suggestions on how to be more okay with this and any suggestions for alternatives? You don't need to be more okay with this. It's okay to be, uh, no, excuse me, but no, (laughs) because sex is supposed to be an ultimate knowing. It's not supposed to be a taking or using. And I don't even know if he's trying to act out porn as much as it is that he is acting out what he has learned about what sex is. Exactly what I just talked about. He is seeing you through the lens of porn and seeing sex through the lens of porn, the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of heaven. If we want to enjoy a sex life that is part of the kingdom of heaven, again, it's not enough just to get rid of the porn. You have to actually change how you think about sex. And so I would get him to listen to the first part of this podcast so that maybe he can see what part of the problem is. And, you know, do stuff like the sexy dares. Take a look at my 24 sexy dares where it's all about finding out what's fun by focusing on each other and on each other's arousal. We don't need to use each other. You know, right now I am I am writing the book, The Great Sex Rescue. Uh, and one of the things, one of the chapters is on freedom from sexual sin. And one of the concepts I'm bringing up is that the way that we see sex is so related to how we see the kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness, the way that we've already talked about. In this bondage thing, that is so true as well. So let me read you another passage from the Bible that, that can give us more insight into this. Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of darkness is very enticing because it lets us be the ruler of it. And a lot of us, we want to lord over people. We want to have power over people. Power is seductive. And when that becomes a big driving force in us, we're going to see it lived out in sex because sex is so highly personal. It's so related to how we think about our own identity. When we make sex into lording it over someone, into using someone, into power, then we are agreeing with the kingdom of darkness. And the reason so many people are so drawn to this idea of power in in the bedroom and are so drawn to the idea of violence in the bedroom is because we have agreed with the kingdom of darkness. I'm not trying to be a prude here, people, okay? I'm all for different positions. I'm all for trying a lot of different things. I'm all for spicing things up, absolutely. But Power and using someone does not have a place in the bedroom. And it be, and that's because it is expressing sex and intimacy in a way that is aligned with the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of heaven. We need to get over that. You need to renew your mind. You need to see things differently. You need to talk this over with your husband and say, no, I am not okay with that. And there is no way to get okay with that because you don't compromise on this stuff. And if you're uncomfortable, it's for a good reason. And so say, no, I am more than willing to try all kinds of other things that are fun and sexy and spicy. Absolutely. But sex is not going to be about power. It is going to be about love and intimacy in our relationship. Here's another really sad one. 
a woman writes, my husband passed away very suddenly a year ago. I was recently able to access his Google account and came across a porn subscription and hundreds of downloaded photos, among other things he clearly hid from me. I'm so angry and I feel so betrayed. I've worked so hard processing and walking through my grief over his death. And now I feel like I'm back at square one. We were married for over a decade and had several children together. My memories all feel clouded by this. What else did he lie about and hide from me? How do I reconcile what I know now with a man I thought I knew? And how do I let this go and forgive when there can't be a real resolution? I am so sorry. That is so difficult. And my heart just breaks for this woman. You know, like I said before, not all pornography has equally bad effects. And if she was married to him and they had a good marriage and she felt intimate with him, hold on to that. It doesn't mean it was a lie. Okay. A lot of people, they're lured by porn, but it doesn't change necessarily how they see you. And it doesn't change necessarily how they see sex. It's just something they find really tempting. Some people, it really does change it like that first husband, but this one, it may not have. And so if you had real intimacy with him, if you felt very close to him, don't let that be robbed from you. You can still hold on to that. Not everybody has the same effects. And so he may have honestly been, you know, truly in love with you, truly enjoying sex with you. This was just something he battled with and he didn't want to battle with it, but he did battle with it and he might have been fighting it you don't know. The other thing is like, none of us is perfect. And all of us have things that we would prefer that no one else knew about us. And just because someone did something bad does not mean that they didn't also do things that were good. And that something bad that he may have done doesn't need to take away from the great dad that he was or the great husband that he was. He wasn't perfect. Absolutely. And he did betray you. But that doesn't mean he didn't love you. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't a good dad. It may have been something that he didn't even want to be doing. And what he did want to be doing was he wanted to be married to you and he wanted to have these kids. Those are also choices that he made. And so don't see his entire life through the choice that he made to get subscribed to that porn site or to download those pictures. That wasn't his entire life. It was part of his life, but it wasn't his entire life. And so please don't let those pictures or those acts change other choices that he made because he did make some really good ones too. And you deserve to hold on to those memories. And those memories are precious ones that you're going to want to pass on to your kids. And so try to hold those two things at the same time. He may have made some bad choices, but he also made a whole lot of good ones. And I encourage you to honor him for the good ones. Um, Because it does sound like you had a great marriage and something terrible was taken from you. And I just pray that this discovery doesn't need to rob you of your entire marriage as well. Here's one that's from a 16-year-old girl. She says, I was first introduced to porn in the sixth grade, and I honestly don't even know how I started. I think it started with masturbation, and then eventually I found porn. I hate myself for my addiction, and no matter how many times I go to confession, I am Catholic, and I'm forgiven by God, I still come back to it. My biggest struggle is that I don't know how I could ever tell my parents or a close friend because I know they will view me so differently, and I need help getting over this addiction from someone I can trust. 
All right. So I put this question in this podcast to remind us that it isn't only boys who get addicted to porn and that that is really a serious thing. We need to have controls on our computers. We need to know what our teens are doing because teenagers are so much more susceptible to this stuff. And it does have far more of an addictive hold on them in the teen years when they get started in their teen years when they're just starting to have sexual feelings. It cements itself in and worms its way in way easier than if you don't start till you're an adult. And so we do need to be especially careful with our kids. We also need to be really the kind of parent that a kid could come to and talk to about this. When we made the whole story, which is our puberty course, where we we had young women, my, my daughters were telling girls about puberty, sex, growing up, porn, masturbation, all of that. And then we have a boys version as well, where a great guy, Sheldon Neal, um, out of Crossroads TV in Toronto and my sons-in-law also have some great advice to guys there, again, talking about masturbation, porn, along with other things. And so it's just a way to open up that conversation. And I think that's a great tool during this coronavirus thing. We've got it on for just $19 for one of the age groups. Or you can get lifetime access to uh, both the younger and the older version for 35 or I think it's 59 for both the boys and the girls' lifetime. Um, so take a look at that. It's a great deal for when you're stuck at home. It's a great time to have those conversations with your kids. But, but be the kind of parent that your child can come and talk to. And I would just say to this young woman, there's a lot of, of porn recovery groups on the internet. There's a lot of great sites for porn recovery. But I just do encourage you to talk to somebody. Maybe there's a youth leader at your church or because a lot more people struggle with this than we think. And sometimes we do need that kind of accountability. Pray really hard. Uh, I will put a link in to my daughter's video on uh, five things to know about about getting over porn. Uh, She made that when she was a teenager to help some of her friends. And so I'll put a link there for this girl too. But let's just remember this isn't only an adult male problem or a teenage male problem. We think of porn as a guy's problem, but increasingly, girls are getting hooked on porn too. Think of porn's effect on teenage girls if porn becomes their sex ed. It's not just sons we have to protect, it's daughters too. If you have children at home, you need Covenant Eyes on your computers, devices, and phones. Learn more at CovenantEyes.com and use the coupon code TLHV to get your first month for free. And I have another one from a high school girl. This one makes me really mad, though. Okay, so not at her, at her parents, but listen to this. I'm about to graduate from high school. Recently, my boyfriend came out with his porn issue. Naturally, I was devastated, but we have been healing our relationship. Now my parents want me to move away for six months. His mom is encouraging me to disregard their wishes and just stay and marry him. A friend of mine's mother, who at this point is the only person I trust not to have an ulterior motive in counseling me, said that it would be wiser for him to get counseling for his porn and work through some of these issues while I get counseling for my eating disorder. I told his mother that and she told me that I just need to get married to him and that counseling won't help. She said that marriage is the only thing that will make him stop. I don't know what to do with this whole mess. I'm not even an adult yet, but I can't go to my parents for many reasons. One of them is that they don't like anyone not from our church and are trying to keep our family's appearances up as my father is a respected official there. I don't want to get married yet because we're both not ready, but I feel wrong in believing that. Okay, please, people. What are we doing to our teenagers? Okay, like, honestly, I'm reading this. and I'm thinking, man, it's good she's got at least one sane person in her fa- in her social circle. But 
She can't talk to her parents because all they care about is appearances. Okay, parents, that is the number one way to make your kids rebel. You got to read Rebecca's book, Why I Didn't Rebel. That is so dangerous. And it's just a dereliction of duty. And your child has an eating disorder. So get with it. As for her boyfriend's mother, hun, if your son is watching pornography, getting him married is the last thing you want to do. You don't want to make some poor girl marry your son when he's addicted to pornography. That's awful. Deal with the problem first. Okay, the problem with pornography is that it agrees with the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of heaven. Trying to get married is not going to magically cure that. (laughs) You've got to actually deal with the problem first. No, you know, marriage does not cure porn, not at all. And I have so many people writing into me every day saying that they thought that getting married would stop the problem and it doesn't. So let's stop with that. And also let's not rush people into marriage. I am all for marrying young if you're mature about it. And both my daughters married at 20. I married at 21. I never pushed my daughters to get married young. They just met someone they loved and they had good plans and it's worked out great so far. And I'm sure that it will continue to work out great. But you do not push kids into marriage when they say they're not ready. And so I know some religious communities are really into marrying young, but this makes me really mad. You do not want your kids to get married when they're not ready. Because once you're married, you have a bunch of kids. It's so much harder to get out of that marriage if it's a toxic marriage. And that just sounds like you're inviting disaster. So stop it. So this girl is crying out for help. I hope that there are some adults around her who will tell her, yeah, you know what? It's not that you're not necessarily going to marry this guy. It's just that we're going to make sure that both of you are whole people first. You can't get married when you're both totally broken and expect that marriage will fix you. So both of you need to be whole people. And if you see someone in your church community who has parents who are nuts, make sure that you're reaching out to them because let's not create this situation for anyone else. Okay. Finally, I want to change gears for a moment. This one's not about porn. This is just a reader's letter that I want to read. And one of the biggest problems with this self-isolation is that it's really dangerous for people who are being abused. And when you're forced to stay at home with an abusive spouse, abuse is worse. And we're seeing domestic abuse on the rise. There's far more phone calls to domestic abuse hotlines. I know that there's a lot of my listeners who are in abusive marriages. And some of those are men, by the way, because women can be abusive as well. That's not what God wants. It doesn't honor God when we preserve a marriage, but we lose the people in it. And you are valuable to God. You are made in the image of God. And so I just want to read this letter and I'm going to let it speak for itself. So a woman wrote in and said, let me begin by thanking you for all the hard work you've done promoting healthy relationships. As a newlywed with a husband struggling with a porn addiction, I read your good girl's guide to great sex in hopes that I could make him choose me. I also read the five love languages and love and respect. Sadly, my husband was not receptive to what I learned in your book, but did appear to enjoy my putting love and respect, or rather respect, into practice. I just knew that as long as I treated him the way Dr. Egrich instructed me to, our marriage would get better and he would begin to treat me in a loving fashion. From the outset of our marriage, he would raise his voice at me, goad me into arguments, and tell me how worthless I am. His favorite was to call me a stupid, fornicating female dog, but of course I've cleaned up the language. I defended him to my family and believed the problem was that I am hard to live with. I do have annoying quirks, and my husband was justified in pushing back. He told me I just wanted him to be a paycheck. I've been a stay-at-home wife through his design most of our marriage. When we found out I was expecting our son, I was excited and scared. 
He was just angry. He told me he didn't want the baby. I stayed because I was high risk and I needed health insurance to get the medication I needed to keep my miracle alive. I remember one day during my pregnancy, he was screaming at me so that I just cowered in the floor holding my baby bump, protecting him as well as I could. It took another four years for me to grow a backbone. Throughout our son's life, I've been berated and told how I choose a child over my husband and how selfish I am for not putting my husband first. When he blew up at me Monday morning for a mess our three-year-old had made, I knew it was time to get out. I cannot raise my son in that environment. He deserves better. Over the past few years, several men from our church have reached out and have tried to guide my husband toward being a kind husband and attentive father, and they've always been rebuffed. He has let people know that he will not change, that he is not abusive, and I need to grow a thicker skin. He has also let me know that his growing dependence on alcohol is not alcoholism, and I need to stop being judgmental. Yesterday, I packed my things and my son's clothes, loaded my car, and made the long drive to my parents' house. It is the hardest decision I've ever had to make, but I am at peace, and I feel relief. I am now a statistic, but I am a safe statistic. Your letter to focus on the family helped give me the confidence to know that despite what I've been told for the last decade, I deserve better. I've known for a while that my little boy deserves better, but I've been scared of what people will think. Today, in spite of my fear and putting my pride aside, I did something I've not done since before my son was born. I submitted a job application. With the Lord's and my parents' help, I will get back on my feet, possibly finish my BA, and raise my son in a healthy, godly home. In summation, thank you for being a voice for those of us afraid to speak out. Thank you for showing me that I am not responsible for my husband's actions. Thank you for helping me to realize it is okay to remove myself and my son from an abusive situation, even though it's mental rather than physical. You have helped me break the cycle of abuse in a sweet little boy's family. That letter was written a little over a month ago. And so I pray that this woman is okay and that maybe she got a job before this whole self-isolation thing happened so that she has something to go back to. And I I pray safety over her and her son, and I'm so glad that she did get out. But I know that there are others of you listening who haven't gotten out, and that this right now is a dangerous time for you. And so I just want to encourage you, if you are being abused, please reach out and call an abuse hotline. You can Google what the number is in your community, but please reach out and call. It's not okay for you to be abused. All right, as we wrap up, I know that was really heavy, but I have some good news, okay? This 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 one's actually kind of exciting. So as we've been writing The Great Sex Rescue, one of the things that we've had to do is create a rubric, um, and those of you who are teachers or will know what I mean, where uh, you have a marking guideline for essays, you know, where you know, if you're going to mark them on a scale of one to five, you know what a five would look like, and you know what a three would look like, and you know what a one would look like. Well, we created a rubric with 12 different measures. And we defined what a zero is up to a four. (laughs) So there's a, you can get a maximum score of 48. And we've been looking at all of the top selling Christian marriage books, but well, about 15 of them, and the top selling uh, Christian sex books. And I'll tell you, a whole lot of them were scoring really, really badly, like really badly. But this weekend, I read two books that actually ended up scoring well, Intimate Issues, Um, scored really well. And The Gift of Sex by the Penners was amazing. And so I know that I I say a lot of negative stuff about a lot of books, but 
Yeah, I was really encouraged this weekend to read some books that did really well on a rubric um, and that are really helpful. And so, yay, way to go, Gift of Sex. I thought that book was amazing, was really good, much better than any of the other um, really uh, educational books about sex of the kind that tell you what what each body part is, et cetera, et cetera, and, and how to achieve orgasm and how to deal with all kinds of sexual problems. I thought it was just great. So I just want to give kudos where there's kudos due. And I was happy to see that some books are healthy. And I even wrote a post this week uh, about something that I thought they handled really well in the book. So you can go back and look at Tuesday's post. I will put a link to it in this podcast as well. So thanks for joining us on To Love, Honor and Vacuum podcast. I know it's been a heavier podcast. And this week, as we look at porn on the blog, hopefully we'll be able to start with that bigger picture perspective of what the issues are. The podcast this week, this month are not actually going to be about porn because we're talking about porn so much on the blog. Instead, we're going to look at some of the books that I've been reading for this rubric, some of the ones that didn't score quite as well. And Rebecca and I are going to walk through them. I'm going to read some excerpts to her. She's not, she hasn't been prepped for this one and we'll just do her response live. It'll be a lot of fun. So get ready for those coming up next week for the end for the next three weeks. And meanwhile, hopefully, Self-isolation will not last too much longer, but if it does, may you still have a lot of fun with your family and everybody, let's just keep safe and let's just keep praying for our world.